What's up, everybody? Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks, or the world's best hand handicapping site the skybox sports picks is the creator of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that's been refined through multiple years of trial and error and testing these guys are legit go te to test them out today they've got all kinds of packages for you. you've got a march madness package the best thing going on right now um it's that time of year march madness is back you've got another round of 32 games today the sweet 16 heading into next weekend at the very least go check out a daily pass they've got a 10 dollar daily pass where you can get all of the picks for that day i would encourage you to go buy a full season pass you're missing out on a profit these guys tore it up over the weekend but check them out skybox sports picks the world's premier handicapping site that is skyboxsportspicks.com any uh, purchase is 20% off if you use the promo code RIPPY. Go ahead and test it out. It's $8 for a day at the very worst for the daily pass. You get 20% off the $25 March Madness pass as well. Go check them out. They've got a package for you. Podcast also brought to, by, brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. LB's, Greg's got the first subscriber deal going on. If you're a subscriber to the newsletter, you show them that email I sent you last week, and they'll give you a free pound of spicy ribeye sausage. So just go show them this advertisement. I'm going to place another one in the Monday newsletter, and you get a free pound of ribeye sausage. That is the first – spicy ribeye sausage, I should say. That is the first of many subscriber deals that we will be doing with LB's. Glad to have Greg back on board, but go check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go buy something and go get a free pound of spicy ribeye sausage to go with it. It is delicious. It's grilling season. It's that time of year. Anyway, let's get going. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up, Happy Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Welcome to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. On the other end of the line, as he is every Monday and Friday, is Colin Brister. Boy, do we have a ton to get to. Ole Miss sweeps Auburn. Ole Miss did play a basketball game that I attended on Friday night in Frisco. Probably more baseball-centric. I'm sure we'll hit some March Madness. That's been awesome. Uh, what's up, dude? Not much. Not much. I went to uh, three games at Swayze this weekend. I know, like, everyone talks about how it feels normal now. Like, no, that's the most normal it's felt because there was, like, 10,000 people there on Saturday, and that place was rocking. Uh, that was fun this weekend after, you know, the year we've had. That, that, that was fun. I was about to actually bring up the same thing. So, on Saturday night, I met a buddy for a beer at – someplace in Fort Worth and he was talking about things going back to normal and I'd seen a video online I watched most of the Saturday game um I played golf twice this weekend not to brag just a statement of fact it happened <laughs> but I watched some of it on my on the on cell phone while we were out on the golf course on Saturday at least and um but anyway stemming from that I saw a video like circulating on the internet of just the crowd and it looked like the video was taken from somewhere in the press box and, like, not only did it look normal, yeah. like a huge, huge weekend crowd, uh, non-COVID either. I mean, there are a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It was, it was well over 10,000. Um, you know, and, and man, that felt nice. Um, it, was, it was crowded again today. Uh, Friday night was crowded. Um, not near – Friday night got hurt a little bit because it was freezing. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty much all – it's pretty much all hands on deck. Business is normal uh, in Swayze, Swayze Field. And the Sunday game, I would say, was was more attended than your normal SEC Sunday game against a, you know, I would call Auburn average-ish team. Yeah. 
you know, starting at that normal time. But I think that's just a lot of people. We haven't been able to do this in a while. And I think there's a right. lot of that going on and people kind of saying, hey, to hell with it, I'll show back up for this one. I did the same thing to a lesser extent. I could not give in one less of a shit about Ole Miss's NIT game, but someone offered me a ticket. and I was like, <laughs> I'll go to another live sporting event. It's awesome. I feel like there was a lot of that with baseball as well. It has been <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I watched because <laughs> I didn't plan on watching Ole Miss's NIT game uh, on Friday. I mean, just to be candid, because it starts at 8, right? And baseball starts at 6.30. And you do the math, baseball takes three and a half hours. Uh, that's 10 o'clock. Uh, basketball is going to basketball is going to take around two, two and a half. So that's about 10, 10, 15, whatever. So I'm like, I'm not going to watch any of it. Well, somehow Ole Miss and Auburn played a two hour and 15 minute game on Friday night. So I wound up getting to watch the last, I don't know, 12 minutes of Ole Miss's NIT game. Cell phones are an awesome invention in the sense that we get into the arena and like had been keeping up with the Ole Miss game and then got to watch the end of it. Like it wasn't really affecting us, but you're right. Like before really the Ole Miss basketball game had gotten even really like into it and going the baseball game was over and that's probably as good a place any to start I'll get into the basketball escapades in uh in a little bit which led less to do with the game and more to do with the adventure that was going to an NIT game that was eye-opening NIT in a pandemic great time uh weirdly enough <laughs> you just walk in there with the vibe that everyone's in there to have a great time I put it that way but we'll start we'll start with baseball first probably get into some March Madness we'll kind of see where this goes but a uh, Friday night happens, and boy, like I mean, Gunnar Hoagland, I don't really know what I don't know what you say about that. Eight innings, shutout, five hits, thirteen strikeouts, no walks. Um, you talk about a guy putting, you know, putting the team on his back when they really needed it and really needed to get off to a good start. I, I don't really know what else. It's hard to articulate how masterful and dominant that was. Yeah, uh, he was special, man, and and look, he he needed to be because Ole Miss did not have a good night offensively. Cody Greenhill was really good. Now, everybody looks at the radar gun and says, oh, Green Hill threw 87 to 89. I'm telling you, his spin rate was unbelievable. Um, but, man, Gunner was just so much better. He had one jam. He uh, gives up a double, gives up a walk. Hayden Le- or Dunhurst has a uh, wild pitch or pass ball. Ball should have been caught second, third, nobody out. And my man proceeds to K the next two guys on six pitches and then K's the third guy on, like, four pitches. And, just like, and- you're in my way. Get out of my box. I don't have time for you. And I had that written down as like a pretty significant note, not only in that game, but in his maturation as a pitcher. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm forgetting the first one, but the second and third two – second and third of the two strikeouts, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Neither one of those came on fastballs, and I don't think the first one did either. No. Um, I'm pretty sure all three were sorry. I, I haven't gone back to watch because I, I was there and I was kind of going a little insane. Um but, yeah, just special, man. He was locating sliders, fastballs, putting it wherever he wants. Um, and he was throwing pretty – he was consistently 92 to 94. High, high spin rate on Friday night. And, man, he was – yeah, that, that that inning was just special. And then he goes back out for another inning after, you know, the high-stress pitches of that inning. He's at 102 pitches, I believe, and goes and throws a one, two, three, eighth inning. He may have gave up a runner with, the, with two outs in the eighth, but got out of it. Just – it was – and I, I tweeted this, and, and Jeff Robertson, our friend, uh, showed me one that was more dominant. Sand Pomerantz, I could not remember a more dominant performance than what Hoagland had. Uh, Jeff introduced me to Stephen Head's two-hit shutout uh, complete game of South Carolina where he threw 86 pitches, and I, I conceded that one. But other than those two, it was the most dominant performance I can remember in the Mike Bianco era. 
It's up there. I mean, it's on the Mount Rushmore. You can probably count definitely on one hand uh, performances that go in the conversation. That's funny that Jeff finds a random Stephen Head game. But you said a two-hit shutout of 86 pitches. Yeah, two-hit shutouts. Uh, so, so real quick, that game, uh, it was a Sunday. He had a two-hit shutout, 86 pitches, uh, nine Ks, and he had closed on Friday night, thrown two innings, and closed the game on Friday night. Fair enough. I did. That one belongs <laughs> There yeah, well. Steven gets that one. <laughs> he can have that one. But, man, yeah, I just – you know, I wrote down that scenario that you walked through where he strikes out the side the first two on six pitches and then gets a third out with a pretty nasty slider away from him. Like, that doesn't happen – and I know I'm, like, stating the obvious. That doesn't happen in 2019. And I'm not sure if he gets put in that position early in 2020 that he's completely there yet. Like, you can tell this is a guy that's pretty much kind of at the peak of his powers from both the confidence standpoint – and everything else behind the fastball catching up to it. Because that was kind of his thing in 19 is there wasn't much behind it, you know, whatever. He kind of learned how to pitch, and, and it, it's kind of paid off. Like, to say he's arrived, I guess, would be a bit of an understatement. Yeah, man, he, he is extremely, extremely special. He, uh, yeah, he, I think he proved that he, he's going to be a top 10 pick in the MLB draft come come June. And I, I, I don't know how uh, – I don't know how anybody could let him fall, fall past that. I, I think personally behind Leiter and, and Rocker, he's probably the next best pitcher in, in college baseball. Which is a huge deal for this team and its ceiling. And I know we discussed while Doug initially got hurt, the possibility of you know, whether he would actually back on Friday or whether it would be Saturday when he came back. But it just kind of took a natural rotation of this team and the turn, fact that Gunnar Oakland's on Friday. They're most talented guys on Friday, and for whatever reason, it just kind of feels right. Yeah, yeah, and, and man, they need like that. That's the thing. Is like, yeah, Gunner was dominant, and he had to be because Ole Miss was not going to score many runs off Greenhill on Friday night. Again, the the kid's spin rate was dynamic. I'm I'm trying to find, and and you may know where I could look at this. I just thought about this. I got sent what Gunner's spin rate, his average spin rate on his fastball is for the year it's in the 2600s which is remarkably high like top five in college baseball high um and he's already throwing 93 to 95 miles an hour pretty much every fastball if he continues to do that he's going to be extremely extremely efficient and he's going to be extremely extremely good for Ole Miss I, I mean think about it now he, he throws a 93 to 95 mile hour fastball has a 2600 spin rate on his fastball forcing fastball like that makes 95 that makes looks like 95 to 97 and he's putting it wherever he wants um man if if he continues to throw with that spin efficiency and that spin rate he's going to be damn near unhittable and i don't mean to bring this back constantly to a doug comparison but it just kind of seems like what we were talking about like the difference in the guy you have to be on friday night and tech and the guy you have to be on saturday isn't that kind of the difference and not that doug's not capable of going eight shutout but the dominance that he had to flash to just really kind of keep old miss in the game and keep auburn you know I mean, at arm's length is not the right phrase because the game was tied. But the amount of dominance you kind of have to have to even give your team a chance late in games is something that Gunner's arm talent is a little bit more conducive to and something you're going to meet more often on Friday nights rather than Saturdays. Absolutely. Um, that I think that was a good – because, look, I love Doug Nikhazy. I think he's an extremely good pitcher. I think there's a world where if Doug Nikhazy has the ball on Friday night, uh, Ole Miss doesn't win that baseball game. Uh, I think there's – because, look, if Doug Nikhazy goes out and throws seven innings, two earned runs, they lose on Friday night. 
Um, at least I think they do. So, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why you would move your ace to Friday night is he can win that baseball game that where if Doug's just a little bit behind him, you don't win that baseball game. I mean, it's the, and it's the stuff factor as well. I mean, you get, what was the, what the inning we were discussing? Is that the sixth? Seventh. Seventh, excuse me. Yeah, because he comes back out and finishes the final, the final one, two, three inning, as you mentioned a second ago. But, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. That just seems like a tougher position for a guy like Doug to get out of. Again, not saying he's doing it, but to just the kind of arm talent and swing and miss stuff that Gunner really – pretty much just flexed for three straight batters is is special stuff. And so kind of moving on from that, I guess, I mean, the game ends and probably what was the best at bat of the game. I mean, holy hell, Calvin Harris. And we'll kind of – this will transition us, I guess, into our next conversation that doesn't necessarily have to do with any of the three games. But what an at-bat there in the eighth before finally scooping that puppy out. Yeah, yeah. You know, he gets down 0-2 or 1-2, whatever. And, you know, Gonzalez, the guy on the mound, I mean, look, he had good stuff. And he, he – like, this is the thing. If you go and watch that home run, it wasn't a bad pitch. It was just a curveball down that God, Harris drops ahead on and, and gets it over the wall, and that gives Ole Miss the win. Yeah, look, uh, Calvin Harris at some point in his career is going to be an extremely, extremely good hitter. It might be this year. It might not be. I don't know. I think he's going to get more opportunities after this weekend. But I think that kind of talent is, is why he, he's here and why they're not redshirting him after a Tommy John surgery. Yeah, and I guess that kind of leads to – so, I mean, Broadway comes in and was nails in the ninth inning, really kind of your typical college baseball. Well, did you watch the ninth inning? Uh, Pretty much most of it. I mean, we got through it. Did you see how far that boy hit that foul ball? Yeah, but it was foul. It it (laughs) was. Oh, my my God. My my heart stopped. Um, He hit that into, like, you know the big tree behind the, the foul pole over there? There's this big, massive tree that sticks up. He hit it about the tree line. I will say on television, though, it was a little bit obvious, a little bit more obviously fouled than it may have looked in the stadium. Maybe so. I was – my friends like that I text uh, when they went to review, they were like, it's it's foul, it's foul. But it it looked very, very close to the stadium. And I, I, was, I was very nervous when they were reviewing it. So he gets through the ninth and Ole Miss locks down a one nothing win. But then Saturday is when kind of the – I mean, he did it on Friday, too, where you had Justin Bench go to third, Elko go to first, which is a move that you had alluded to maybe happening on – on. Uh, I guess we talked on Thursday night for Friday's Mailback Friday podcast. Sure. But that's what he stuck with all weekend. Friday night he uh, DHs – he D, I guess he DHs on Friday night. But Calvin Harris, after the pinch hit home run, gets the last two starts at DH, which puts McCants in center field. Plumlee drew the start on Friday night. Just thoughts on that lineup switch. I mean, the big switch – is obviously Bench going to third and Elko going to first, which puts Graham in left, Leatherwood in right, and then Plumley McCants, McCants throughout the three days of the weekend. But yeah. My thoughts on that. I thought it worked out quite nicely. I think, yeah, I think you've got eight of the nine spots here in the lineup solidified. I, I struggle to think that they're going to let Calvin Harris hit every day against left-handed pitching, especially especially when Ben Van Cleve had a pretty good weekend. He goes three for nine. Yeah, it was three singles. Uh, he hit the world's longest. Did Did you see the ball Ben Van Cleve hit today? By the way, over the kid's head in center. Yeah, and it was a off single. the top of the wall. And I think off the top of the wall, my man got a single. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Uh, had a pretty good weekend. Obviously, has a tough at bat on Friday night, and had a pretty tough at bat on Saturday too. It has a good day on on uh, Sunday. Um, yeah, I 
I think, I think, look, you've got eight of the nine spots in the lineup solidified. I think the lineup that they put on defense is going to be the lineup for, frankly, till somebody plays themselves out of the lineup. Even when LaFleur and Baker get back, I think somebody in this lineup is going to have to play themselves off the field before them they change it. And I think what you're looking at at the DH spot is Calvin Harris is going to get at bats against right-handed pitching. Uh, ben Van Cleve is going to get at bats against left-handed pitching. And until then um, – you know, unless one of those guys just, you know, completely comes out and wins the DH job, which could happen. Uh, I think that's what we're going to see at that spot. So I think this weekend solidified some roles. Uh, I would be shocked if TJ McCants is not the starting center fielder all three games in Tuscaloosa. And frankly, he's earned that. And it's interesting out of the, out of the kind of the scenarios we weighed and we kind of talked about who's going to win that, you know, outfield job and kind of who does the first base thing until not at least until Kale Baker gets back. Who kind of takes reins and maybe wins that thing in his absence is probably a better way to phrase that because it's obviously it's not it's not really a given or likely at this point that Kale Baker comes back and just slides back in at first base. But like I guess it, I guess I should have if I've been a better podcast host, I may have made us put percentages on each of the moves we discussed. But to me, in my mind, particularly with the way we were discussing on Friday. The whole Elko to first and bench to third, which been you know, Johnny Will Golson bench. Um, <laughs> I guess I would have put that in like the lower tier of percentage plays. I did not see Mike doing that, but he did. And like I almost want to think like, did that become? Did it come down to that, or let uh, Mister Hoagland hit? Like, like I wonder what other option he was weighing. Um, I think it was pretty much they were going to let John Rice Plumley and T.J. McCants play center field this weekend and reassess after the weekend. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I wish I had a little more insight on if, if gutter Hoagland hitting was ever become a possibility because man, like, frankly, they're injured as hell right now. Like you think about it, Baker's out, the floor's out. Uh, we mentioned four guys for that one spot. Well, now you're down to two. Um, and <laughs> if those two guys don't produce, like, what do you do? Um, as far as Hoagland hitting. So I don't think that's a, a realistic thing right now. Um, but you know, Baker's out for a while. LaFleur's out for a while. They said three weeks with Mono. I'll be honest. I think Mono's probably a little bit longer than that unless he recovers really quickly. He is a Division One athlete. Um, but, yeah, if McCants or Plumlee hadn't been able to do much of anything, then it feels like you're getting closer and closer to that becoming an actual reality. Fortunately for them, McCants has a stellar weekend. He did. Hits his first career home run on Sunday. Had a pretty good weekend tight. at the plate. Yeah, he did. He tanked that. There's uh, – that one was a no-doubter. But, yeah, it's interesting. And, I, you know, listening to – I've never had mono, but listening to people talk that had – like, not to be that guy, but I wonder if the back of the mind was like, could I not have caught COVID? Because, like, mono – mono seems like a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, mono's – yeah. Yeah, mono's nothing to play with now. Um, I, I, If he's back in three weeks, and I hope he is, I'll be a little bit shocked and extremely relieved because that's that's a pretty serious deal. Um, there's also yeah, if you're back on the field in three weeks. There's also much of a difference, and we've talked about this with some of the guys with COVID nineteen and coming back, but particularly with Mono, he may be back, but the fact if he, the fact that he's back and kind of fully himself in three weeks yeah. is almost impossible. Yeah, this is not a thing where you're able to just you know you practice with Mono, you just can't play or whatever. No, like you you got to chill. Um, so you and then it's a ramping back up, and yeah, I don't expect to. T- uh, the floor for a little while um i hope i'm wrong um and then obviously baker's out four to six weeks so like we said you you've got two guys both of them are going to play in the outfield and mccants and uh 
and McCants and Plumley. And Plumley obviously gets started on Friday, doesn't really do anything. He did have a hit on Sunday. Um, Mac makes Dude, a pretty good it. play on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those two guys either has to hit or you're looking at other options past that. So Ole Miss gets the one nothing Friday win. And those are huge wins. Like those games where you get in the eighth and ninth inning and the game can go either way. Like those are demoralizing losses, particularly yeah. if you're a team on the road, because if you're the Green Hill kid, you kind of walk out of there like, damn, like that sucked. And then yeah, you get like, to Saturday and Ole Miss gets the early lead. And granted, Auburn made it a, a, a game close, but you can't tell me when Ole Miss goes up, what was it? I guess it was 6-2 at one point after like three right. innings where it's kind of like, I don't know. I feel like I would be in that Auburn dugout being like, damn, we can't can't really catch a break here. Like, well, you haven't played poorly, and Ole Miss is just kind of demoralizing you. And then I think mostly it was Auburn's lack of bullpen depth, but I think that kind of fed into it a little bit on Sunday where Auburn just really couldn't crack down the door. Yeah. Um, I was – it's kind of weird. I was kind of impressed by Auburn's ability to not give up because if I was down 6-2 to two after the third and played as poorly as they did those first three innings – I probably would have laid down and quit. I'm being a little facetious, but it would have been real easy to lay down and quit. They fight back, and you're down, what, 14 to nothing today, and you fight back. But also, why are you down 6-2, to two and why are you down 14 to nothing? Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, Ole Miss is better than Auburn. Auburn's a little beat up right now. But on Saturday, man, it just – and really the thing is, too, if you – I know you said you watched most of that game. That game was six to five, but Ole Miss had every opportunity for that game to not be six to five and just could not get a hit with a guy in scoring position. And I don't really put a ton into, you know, like some people want to talk about it, batting average with runners in scoring position. And I get that, but like my thing with batting average with runners in scoring position is I feel like it's pretty static. Like your batting average runner in scoring position, if you hit 280 as a team, I don't feel like you're going to hit much better or much worse as uh, than 280 with guys in scoring position. For whatever reason, on Saturday, it just didn't happen for Ole Miss. Um, but, you know, you get the six runs early in the game, and thankfully uh, Taylor Broadway puts on your jersey and not somebody else's. Yeah, and I think the eight walks is probably more indicative that they had pretty good at bats than anything yeah. else. You know, like you were trying to describe, like, yeah, you felt like they were okay despite that number being a little bit down. I felt like they're – I mean, they only drew like what they drew, one walk on Friday. But, I mean, who the hell was doing anything on Friday night? The rest of the weekend, they had pretty good at bats all the way through, which uh, hasn't always been the case, which I guess some of that is probably Auburn's lack of depth because really when they got in towards the back part of that bullpen on Saturday, and then I think it kind of really – reared its ugly head on Sunday there just wasn't a whole lot left in the tank where Ole Miss still had a decent bit but that's kind of one of their weapons going into the year that was what we talked about in the non-conference is they're going to be deeper in the pin than a lot of teams not named Vanderbilt Florida and whoever the hell else you want to throw in the mix yeah yeah and and well frankly the thing was on Saturday is Ole Miss's bullpen doesn't pitch well um and they didn't sure as hell didn't pitch well on Sunday um but you know I, I thought Ole Miss played extremely well on Saturday. Uh, I, you have good at bats. You just don't get the hit with the guy in scoring position. You're able to still win the baseball game. Tyler Myers was extremely good to get it to Broadway. Um, I think if you're Ole Miss, if you want to be concerned about something, it's probably Jackson Kimbrell and Austin Miller, who have both had two pretty bad outings in a row. Um, so if, if you want to be concerned about something after this weekend, I think that's probably it. Uh, Mike said after the game that Chofi's going to throw a bullpen on Tuesday and they'll see if he can travel. Doug Nikhazy is back next weekend, uh, I believe. Um, 
that's going to demote either Diamond or McDaniel to the bullpen. I would guess McDaniel. I don't know that, though. Um, so I think the bullpen's going to get some help. But, yeah, the only concerning part for me this weekend is, is Austin Miller and Jackson Kimball and how they performed. Yeah, you kind of touched on a lot there. We'll go back, but Broadway, another good time going back-to-back days. He only needs 18 pitches to do it the second time, if I'm not mistaken. Picks up save number three and four on the air again. I mean, I get it. Most guys can do it nowadays, but having a guy where you can count on back-to-back days to kind of put down the clamps for you, Sands one very dangerous foul ball, is uh, is is quite the, uh, quite the security blanket to have towards the back end. And you've seen it really from the beginning of the year on. Yeah, he kind of had a little hiccup there in the middle, but, uh, like, there's no one really else Mike trusts more. I mean, you saw it from the time they played TCU where he kind of gave him the ball in the sixth or seventh or whatever it was and was like, hey, let's, let's, let's end this shit. And yeah. that's, I feel like that's kind of the attitude he has with him, and he didn't seem to really hesitate going back to him when things got hairy there on Saturday. Yeah, no, he's not going to. Um, the, the kid's really good. He, he throws a 90 – he averages a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, he's got a really good breaking ball. Um, can throw both of them in the strike zone. Yeah, um, there's no reason to not trust Taylor Broadway at this point, and, and Mike obviously does. He was available today if things got squirrely. Um, I'm glad. I'm sure Mike's glad they didn't have to do that. But, yeah, um, it's nice to have a guy back there that you can really, really trust. And Drew McDaniel was very good once again against a pretty damn good Auburn offense. I mean, this was an offense that I think led the SEC in batting average. Not the greatest statistic in the world, but you look at all the major statistical categories or any indicator you want. Mm -hmm. Auburn didn't play a murderer's row in the non-conference schedule, but had a lineup that was uh, pretty old for the most part and pretty productive, and Ole Miss kind of put the clamps on him for two days. Things got weird today after you get up 14 to nothing, but, you know, whatever. But I thought McDaniel fared pretty well. And, you know, we talked about it. If McDaniel goes, I think, what did we say, like five or six where he doesn't give up a run or gives up a run and, you know, six, seven strikeouts or something, he, he kind of did that. You know, he scatters six hits, gives up two and runs, strikes out seven, doesn't walk anyone. It took – it was going to take a pretty heroic performance by Diamond to make it kind of an argument or conversation about who goes back to the bullpen when Doug Nikhazy comes back and – to Diamond's credit, that's exactly what he did. Just I'll, I'll open the floor to you real quick first, I guess. What do you kind of make of that situation? Because it, it seems like a difficult one. It, well, to me, it, it I, I think it would be difficult for me. For Mike, I don't think it would be difficult. I, I figured Drew McDaniel will be in the bullpen. Look, Diamond's first pitch of the game today was 97. Um, he looked and like after, a different cat. Yeah, he sat 95 to 97 for two innings, and then sat about 93 to 95. Look, Diamond's got the stuff to be a an elite, elite starter this year. Um, so it, it just it depends to me, you know. If he go look, I think if, I don't think he's got much leash. I think if he goes out to Tuscaloosa and has a bad outing and has a bad outing in Gainesville, I don't think you know when they come home against Arkansas, he's in the rotation. But I do think that you know, I, I get it that that Drew McDaniel was really good and Derek Diamond has had some tough outings. But if you're I, I just hesitate to take the kid off the weekend that's been your weekend starter for now, I think nine straight series and you know he's a freshman. Um and has been pretty good overall. I, I struggle to take that kid off the weekend and, and give him what probably should rightfully be seen as a demotion to the bullpen. I think you give him another start in Tuscaloosa and probably another one in Gainesville and then gauge it. Um, and as long as, man, if he pitches like he did today, he, he's going to be pretty good. Um, 
but you need to see that in a, in a consistent fashion as well. Yeah, I agree. And we, we, I feel like talking out of both sides of our mouth is not the case, but it's, it's interesting to see how the weekend plays out because we were both pretty confident it was actually probably going to be the opposite come the weekend. Yeah. And, you know, they both had very similar starts. I thought Diamond was a little stronger, but, you know, looking like a different guy, you talk about – I can't remember. He had a strikeout in the first where he put 97 on the corner to one of the kids. I don't remember which one of the three it was. I believe he struck out the side in the first. And that was kind of, uh, I guess, eyebrow-raising. You haven't seen that a whole lot the last couple of weeks, but he blows it by that guy. And like, I mean, my man Dick Cross was like 97 on the corner. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, things – I don't know. The ball seemed to come out of his hand a lot better today than it had in the last two to three weeks. Is there any possibility Mike sees him throw 95 to 97 as a starter and things? Yeah, but what if I can make him 97 to 99 as a closer? Like, because I've got another guy that I can put on Sunday that's pretty good. Like, because that thought ran through my mind. Um, it's like, yeah, this catch really could be really good. And he throws 95 to 97 as a starter. What if I made that a two-inning guy and he threw 97 to 99? He might be damn near unhittable. And it's kind of a yeah, – in terms of, like, maximizing the team's effectiveness and what's the right move, like, you could make an argument that that's it. But this is also a managing personalities thing as well. Sure, absolutely. You like, you, I think you, you put it earlier, is rightly viewed as a demotion to the bullpen, which you know, it probably isn't, but technically is. Like, it, it's kind of a weird dynamic. It would almost – like, I know this sounds dumb, but it would almost be easier to do it if Diamond hadn't been the Sunday guy all of last year all the way up into the cutoff. Like, he's been entrenched in that role for what seems like quite a while, despite being a fairly young guy. I just think, like, if they were both battling it out this year and maybe it split a couple Sunday starts to kind of see what's what, it would be an easier transition to do that to Diamond yeah. where after, you know, almost a full season's worth of starts, probably not quite yet, three-quarters of a season's worth of starts on Sunday sure. – Without doing really "quote unquote" anything wrong, you just be like, "Yeah, sorry, man, you're you're in the pen." Yeah, um, so that's why I don't think it happens. I think Drew McDaniel goes to the pen, and it sucks for him because he's pitched extremely well. Um, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. There's not really another option. Doug McKay's going to go into the rotation somewhere, so somebody's got to go. Um, and if I had my betting odds, I would probably bet on Drew McDaniel. Which, again, that sucks for him, but you know, you're gonna. And I'm interested to see how they handle him because if I'm on this, I don't use him as a midweek starter anymore. That 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 guy needs to throw SEC innings. Um, so and he can be a four starter for you, obviously. So you know, I'm interested to see how they use him out of the bullpen because I think Gunner's going to get be a guy that can give you length. Um, how do you use the guy that throws 92 to 93 as a starter uh, out of the bullpen? Um, he's come out of the bullpen obviously before. He did it against TCU in the first game of the year. Um, so. We'll see. I think that's going to be something interesting going forward is how they're able to use him. Yeah, I agree. But I think, I mean, that's got to be pretty much a given at this point. Like, why in the world would you pitch him in the midweeks, particularly where Mallets is completely competent? Like, it'd be one thing if you had some guy that was, you know, like dinging your RPI every now and again because you just don't know what you're getting with out there when he's out there. But, I mean, hell, Mallets got important outs this weekend. Like, that game kind of got weird for a second and he settled it down. Like, having a guy like that, I imagine, and this, again, speaks to the depth on the pitching staff as a whole, uh, kind of makes it a foregone conclusion that's like, hey, we don't really need to throw this kid in the midweek anymore. That yeah. this kid being um, McDaniel, obviously, not Mallets. Especially when the midweek's kind of crap from this point forward. It's like UCA, UT Martin. You don't really play anybody. You don't play Southern. You don't play State. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, waste, I don't waste too many pitches on that kid in the midweek. Um, 
True. But you also don't want the guy to be a disaster. And I think that's kind of the importance of, of the role Mallets is serving is to, to his credit, has not been a disaster by any stretch. I know that sounds dumb. Any, any thought to I, – I, I was told that Mike either said this on the radio or somewhere that Doug will be back this weekend. I haven't seen that. I'm operating that he, under the premise that he will be back. Let me ask this. Is there any possibility that Gunner throws 116 pitches on, on Friday night they start the series against Alabama on Thursday. Any possibility they keep Gunner on normal rest and throw him Friday, or do you think they just get it set up? Oh, I have not thought about this. I mean, I don't have any insight. I'm just wondering. You threw a lot of pitches on Friday. I just wonder if they would want to keep him on normal rest or, or how that would play out. This is solely just going off of what I remember of the last half decade. And, I, again, this could be wrong. I have not looked any of this up. Mike tends to just kind of do what he does – instead of the he does he does he's been kind of averse to that so i would lean no but it's an interesting thought yeah um and and i think i lean that he won't do that because they play two thursdays in a row um so you might as well get him on regular schedule now um but yeah i just i somebody brought that to my attention today was like hey if he doesn't you know if he does come back would you want to throw doug on thursday and keep him on normal rest i'll be honest uh just from being around pitchers for a little while now i i don't think like, Gunnar Hoagland could go on Tuesday and be fine. Um, I wouldn't advise it. But, you know, I mean, like, these guys are ready to go. And, and like, another day is not going to help him too much. I just wondered if, you know, I, I will say, you know, 116 pitches was a lot on Friday. Uh, it was cool, which I think helped. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think I would expect Gunner on Thursday. I just thought that would be interesting. The only time I can really recall something like that happening is uh, in 2015. Uh, he throws Weathersby in the SEC tournament because he didn't throw on the weekend before because it got rained out instead of throwing his ace, which was, I believe, Christian Trent. Um, but other than that, I, I, I can't really recall him, of, you know, throwing his ace second when he, you know, he's designated a certain pitcher as their ace. You're absolutely right on 2015, but that was a little bit weirder because they had had all kinds of issues with the Sunday thing. Wasn't like Sam Smith was like back for another year or something. Yeah, Smith was really bad that year. He had a hernia deal that was a problem, and they rotated. I don't know why I remember this. Stokes. I was about to say, Stokes threw the game of his life at Vanderbilt that year, and Colby Bortles hit the grand slam to either win it or send it to extras, but – that had been kind of a revolving door, and I remember some of that factoring into the Weathersby start. Um, it's just opposed to the normal rest thing as well. There was a lot more that went into that. Yeah. Um, well, they played A&M that last weekend, and they played the first two games, and then the Saturday game got rained out, and so Weathersby didn't get to throw, so then he throws. But, like, that was a situation, too, where they could have won the SEC tournament and nothing would have mattered. So they were probably ready to go home. But, yeah, I, 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 I just – was posing that as a hypothetical I fully expect to see on third ones taking the ball and especially against Alabama yeah absolutely just kind of one last encompassing thought on Saturday before we kind of transition to Sunday I mean you talk about uh, Calvin Harris and in the hell of an at bat he has to help win the game, win the game. Friday night. he was productive again on on Saturday yep. he has three RBIs a couple of hits uh, quite the weapon and if you can kind of go lefty righty not you know straight down the middle or as concrete, but having a guy because Van Cleve haven't, hasn't been the most reliable all year to kind of go to, particularly in right-handed heavy pitching styles, which is exactly what Auburn was, is, is a gigantic luxury. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Have you seen the Oregon State score? I just flipped this on. Have you seen it? 
No, but spoiler alert, we're now recording on Sunday night as Colin talks about the uh, it's a tournament game. Sorry. Uh, they're <laughs> up 14 right before halftime. Anyways. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and Oral Roberts just won. So, we got some mania going on. But anyways, yeah. Um, look, Calvin Harris is going to be a stud. He, he's going to be the catcher after Dunhurst leaves next year. Um, I think that I think frankly they would have found him a position to play if he could have played it by now with his uh, you know but the arm injury limits that. Um, so look, the, the kid's a, was a perfect game ten for a reason. He's going to really hit before he leaves Ole Miss. I think they're going to give him every opportunity this year at DH, especially against right-handers. And man, he he's he has some really good at bats this weekend, like the one you mentioned, the home run. But then he comes back on. I think on Saturday he gets a, a, a sacrifice fly, hits a big double. Uh, just really, really did a great job, you know, having quality at bats. And he's a kid that, man, they love, they really like that kid. So they're going to give him every opportunity because they pretty much got eight of the nine-foot positions solidified, and him and Van Cleve were battling for that DH spot. And two of the guys putting this lineup – I mean, the two guys driving this lineup move into motion, talking about Justin Bench going to third – and Tim Elko going to first are both he and T.J. McCants. Their production at the plate, I imagine, drove this move more so than anything else. You can see it a lot more obviously with the whole T.J. McCants thing because Bench going from center to first uh, – excuse me, Bench going from center to third base to where we had talked about it before. Mike Bianco kind of had that quote where it's like, hey, this kid's incredibly valuable because he can play anywhere. He's playing in center field right now because he's our best center fielder. But, you know, I guess kind of the – that statement changes if T.J. McCants hits the way he does, I guess is what I'm saying. I guess the, the whole D.H. thing is, doesn't really have much to do with the move, but I, I find both of these guys fascinating that they're driving kind of major lineup decisions. Yeah, they are. And I will tell you that, you know, Ole Miss had some, some defensive struggles. Um, those, for the most part, look, Bench makes an error in eighth inning on Saturday when you're up 14 to runs. I, I can't really fault the kid there. Um, but he, they made that uh, defense really a lot better, especially on the infield. Moving Bench to third, moving Elko to first. Who, I think Bench is a plus defender at third base. I think Elko is a plus defender at first base. Chatney is a pretty good second baseman, and Gonzalez is a really good shortstop. I think moving McCants out to center field, I know he's not played it very long, but I think he's going to be a lot more comfortable out there. And, man, he is some kind of athlete. Uh, he made a play on Sunday where he goes into the left field or, yeah, the left field gap and just hawks a ball down. Um, you're going to have a plus defender out there, which, you know, look, Kevin Graham or Hayden, Hayden, Leatherwood, Hayden Leatherwood are not bad defenders by any stretch of the imagination, but you do need some speed in center field. Neither, the, neither one of those guys I think you would consider burners. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think, you know, the move from bench to third and either, you know, it, whoever you have out there, McCants or Plumley, um, makes your defense a hell of a lot better. And as you kind of underscored there, but you also get better at third and first base. Elko's probably better than anything they had at first base between Baker and Graham, and then you get Justin Bench at third. And yeah. speaking of Justin, Will, Gullis, and Bench, uh, they were the same number. That was another important wow. this weekend. It took me that long to catch up to that. Did you know? Did you notice this? I did not know that. I learned something today. There you go. I believe Will Golson was eight, right? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're both eight, aren't they? How about I? I don't know if Bench is eight, but I trust you. Bench is eight. I'm a genius. All right. There we go. So, so, so maybe there's something just there. Maybe it's the jersey. That. Stick that on Ben Van Cleef. See if he plays short. Uh, maybe it's the jersey. <laughs> 
But anyway, you're so right. Like, Vince has not played now has not played every he's played everything except first and catcher. Uh, I think goals to the left, he played everything except short and catcher. So we gotta get gotta get bench over to first somehow. And uh speaking of I, I was about to say he's uh he's he's gonna be if he if they want to do it for fun in a midweek game, hate to break it to Justin Bitch, he's shit out of luck because Ryan Olenek a couple years ago caught wind of the whole Wilson-Golson versatility, and, and Ryan Olenek's ego wanted some of that love as well. And so he started moving around towards the end of his career, and he basically kind of like semi-publicly lobbied for my, uh, him to be allowed to play all positions and pitcher in a game one time. Um, he did that through us for about a month, and Mike didn't budge. So I hate to break it to Johnny Bench's son. but I, Mike I, doesn't care. Yeah, I think seven might be it for him. And that's okay. That's a fair number of positions. <laughs> So wait, I'm trying to think. Did Olenek play everything except catcher and first base? Yes, because yeah. because he did play second for on one of those teams early in his career where they sucked. Yep. He got it short one time, I think, when the game was out of control, and I think he played he came third in as a shortstop. Yeah, he was recruited as a shortstop, if I'm not mistaken. You can tell me he didn't play left field because I know he played. Uh, I'm sure at some point they slid him to left field. I know he played right field as a freshman and center field as a sophomore and then wherever as a junior and then center field again as a senior. I don't recall him playing left field, but I'm sure at some point he did. Right, and then he started lobbying for the last two, and it just didn't happen for my man Ryan. <laughs> he may have, in his own mind, though, I'll tell you what, in Ryan Olenek's own mind, he may have played all nine positions and may have managed a game. If, if he, Just ask him. <laughs> The saddest thing I ever saw for that poor kid was him missing his – you know, he missed his home, like oh, his last terrible. series. Yeah. And even the no, Monday oh. after, he, he looked – I mean, I, I hate, he looked awful. Yeah. I don't know what – I guess he had the flu. I can't recall what happened, but it was, it was not good. But, yeah, bitch's versatility, again, it, it, you know, a lot of the things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks are kind of coming to fruition. I don't say that, like, pat ourselves on the back. There are just storylines with this team. Bench's versatility, the whole first base thing. Like, they're coming to fruition, and, and having Bench's versatility is huge, particularly with all the weird injury shit this team's had through the first month and a half of the season. Like, that, that's, that's huge. You need, him, uh, you need him healthy and staying healthy, and if he happens to ding a wrist, don't ever bun him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did square around today one time, and I think Mike was like, you know what, that's probably a bad idea. And uh, he, he didn't square around after the first pitch. So, Ole Miss now has one bunt in 20 games. One bunt. And it was against the SWAC school. <laughs> which, shouldn't, which shouldn't count in some ways. So, as we get to Sunday's game, I know we kind of hit it on the second ago going with the McDaniel-Diamond debate. But, man, Derek Diamond was really good and looks like a lot, of, a lot of 2020 and Arlington Derek Diamond. And I don't know, what do you make of the whole uptick in Velo? Is there anything in baseball, and I'm mostly just posing this to ask this more so than I have any sort of hunch, but is there anything to the fact that he kind of felt, you know, someone breathing down his neck, possibly about to take his job? I mean, you get the uptick in Velo. He was real intense out there today. Not that he isn't always kind of locked in and motivated. I don't mean to make it sound like that. But he just seemed to kind of have the little FU chip on his shoulder um, of, that only kind of comes out of necessity when your whole job's on the line. Do you read anything into that at all? Um, look, you're always going to, you know, your job's on the line. I, I think you always want to perform well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's possible. You know, I mean, competition brings out the best in folks. And um, 
yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. That, that look, he knew, hey, I'm getting pushed a little bit here, especially when you know McDaniel has a pretty gutsy performance on Saturday, which you know I don't think McDaniel has his best stuff on Saturday. He's able to give you five innings pitched and two earned runs. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely valid that that he felt a little heat, and uh, I think that's a good sign for Ole Miss. He feels a little heat that his job's on the line, and he goes out and performs. Um, so sign going forward that in big situations he's probably not going to cower from them. Absolutely, and I don't necessarily always buy a, a ton into that in sports. I think it's probably most indicative than football than any other sport. But like you were in the stadium today when he blows ninety-seven by that second or third batter, whatever it was, did your ears not perk up a little? And you're like, oh, whoa! Like this is yeah, this is different than it has been. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's a nice day. It wasn't you know cool like it was last Sunday or or like it was against Belmont. Um, yeah, I, I think that's completely valid. It wasn't, you know, it was nasty when he pitched against UCF. Um, so look, most of the time he's going to pitch in pretty warm weather from now on. We'll see if that 95 to 97 lasts. I sure hope it does. Cause man, I, I'll tell you, um, he was unhittable for the first, I don't know, two or three innings. I know they got a few base runners, but it was kind of some of his own doing, man. If he corrals some of the stuff he's got, he he's, he's damn near unhittable at, you know, when he's at his best. The first time through the order was as sharp as he's been at any point in his career today. Yeah, maybe besides, you know, he was like that against Texas, though. Yep. And that was the only other time, I believe, this year where he's gone six, and I think it was a very similar line. Yeah, it was. It was. When he's like that, man, he's he's unhittable. Um, and it's funny, like, it because you talk about, and, and, and I get it, you talk about his three performances that aren't very good. But if you look at them, like, they're not good. Don't get me wrong. But you would also kind of maybe outside of the ULM one take what he gave you on Sundays. You just know that the kid can be a whole lot better than that. So if you're just gauging Derek Diamond off of, hey, this guy gives us a chance on Sunday, which is what most guys, which is what most teams want, then he's a fine Sunday pitcher. But if you gauge him off of, okay, this guy throws 94 to 96 with a hammer, he should be really good and not just a Sunday starter, then it's a whole different dynamic, right? And, and I think it's, that's kind of how you have to gauge him is uh, this kid's got extremely special stuff. He shouldn't just be your average Sunday starter. So don't, you know, hold him to the standard of just being a normal Sunday starter. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I, I get that. that's kind of what we're talking about where you mentioned, we've mentioned a couple of times this year where Ole Miss is going to be better than most guys on Sunday because most teams in the SEC, their Sunday guy does not have that potential, whether he taps into it all the time or not. And if, you know, Derek Diamond is consistently that guy, then, you know, holy hell, watch out for this group. But the fact that he has that level to go to is something that most Sunday starters in this league don't have. I mean, you remember, I know it was almost a half decade ago at this point, but Sam Smith was a very useful Sunday starter. Absolutely. For Gave them a chance for pretty much three years until we, as we covered a mention, I didn't min- figure we'd mentioned Sam Smith three times in this podcast, <laughs> but until his senior year where he kind of got the hernia deal and things got weird. But until then, he was a really, really good Sunday starter that gave Ole Miss a chance. And if you talk about talent and stuff-wise between him and a guy like Derek Diamond, it's really just not close. No, it's not even a conversation. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with that, too, when you talk about Diamond. It's like this guy should not just be the guy on Sunday that keeps you in the baseball game. No, he should, he should kick the other team's ass most of the times that he comes out uh, because he throws 95 to 97 and has a hammer. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's it's interesting dynamic. I mean, I think, you know, in a perfect world, right, this this guy's their Friday night guy next year. 
Yeah, because you're losing probably two. You're losing Gunner. I would think – look, I, I don't know Doug's oh, draft prospects. Doug. Huh? The only question here is Doug. Yeah, um, I don't know Doug's draft prospects. You can tell me he's a third rounder. You can tell me it's a 17th rounder. I don't know. But you have to remember, too, with Doug, like he doesn't have to leave this year. This isn't his leverage year. If he wants to stay another year, he can. Um, so, I don't know. But I, I think, you know, if they lose both of those, Diamond is certainly your Friday night guy next year. And, and you know, the, today shows why he has the potential to be a, a pretty good one. Agree. So today, or I say today, Sunday, Ole Miss gets up 14 to nothing. Things get uh, pretty weird there with the casual <laughs> nine-run seventh by the Tigers. But Josh Mallett comes in. And actually, that was kind of a fairly important sequence he was in because that thing could have gotten a hell of a lot weirder than it did. Yeah. You want to – I'll just give you a quick anecdote. Um, so I live – and I'm from Eupora. I don't live there now, but I, I went back home after the game or after I left the game to see my parents. Uh, Eupora is about an hour and 10 minutes away from Swayze. Uh, I had about a 15-minute golf cart ride to my car. Um, I left at the, at the end of the sixth inning. I got home, which was about an hour and a half from the time I walked out of the stadium. I got home and watched the last inning of the game. <laughs> like, that's how long that, that eighth inning took. Uh, but, yeah, Josh Mallett, he, he gets in and, you know, he wasn't particularly good, but – he, he threw enough strikes that got enough people out. And, you know, otherwise you were about a batter away from going to Tyler Myers. And, and you know Mike Bianco did not want to do that. Well, right. Like, and honestly, you get in there and, you know, what the, the brown kid hits the three-run shot off of. And uh, you're nervous then. So, Bell, exactly. It's like, okay, now this is a game again. And then the next kid hits a single and Malice goes in. You know, if Malich walks a kid and then allows another tank, it's 14 to 12, and this is a whole different ballgame. Yeah, and you're asking Taylor Broadway, yo, you got anything, bud? Yeah, exactly, which, one, you don't want to do, and, two, after it's 14 to nothing, I imagine Taylor Broadway was like, I could take my pants off if I wanted to right now. But, you know, him coming in and striking out the guy on what, I think it's like four pitches and really just not making making it really, really burn up in terms of, like, what the hell are you doing here? I thought it was yeah. important because that seventh was uh, – that was quite interesting. I don't read a ton into it. I don't know about you, but if Ole no. Miss is needing Logan Savelle or Luke Baker in high leverage spots this year, then uh, they're in trouble. Something's probably happened. Yeah, um, and and frankly, at this point, I mean, I don't think that. Look, I think Josh Mallett is going to be a guy that they count on in the future. I don't think it's this year. Um, so I, you know, I I don't read anything into it. Honestly, you give up nine runs off three guys that I don't think you that are going to throw meaningful innings much this year. Um, and, you know, good on them for going up and putting up a five spot at the bottom of the eighth, making everybody feel a lot better. Um, and then, you know, because Mallets gives up three hits in a row to begin the inning and nobody really cares because you're up 18 to nine at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I thought Mike played that exactly the way he was he supposed did. to in terms of like, okay, you use two guys you're not going to use. It gets to five runs. To be quite honest, I, I was kind of like you. I didn't have anywhere to leave. I just turned the channel in the six-ish or whatever. And right. then it gets like to 14-6, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll put this back on. And then the kid hits the tank, and it's 14-9. to nine. At that point, it's like, all right, now you got to turn this back on. I just couldn't think of who Mike was going to go to, and I wasn't paying close enough attention to see who was up in the pen. But I, I thought he played that exactly right from the two kids he had in to going to Mallets 
and uh, kind of avoiding having to go back to any of your actual guns. I thought he played that the way he's supposed to. Yeah. Um, now, to be clear, if Ole Miss doesn't put up a five spot in the bottom of the or the you know the bottom of the eight, uh, Tyler Myers gets the ninth, and and they pray he doesn't blow up and they have to go back to Broadway. But yeah, I mean he he played it right, and you know look. Do you want to be mad that you gave up nine runs or do you want to be happy that you swept the SEC team and you're 3-0 in SEC play? The nine runs don't really matter. It's, you know, it's not even basketball where they have the net and offensive efficiency is a part of it. Like, they don't matter. You won the baseball game and the nine runs were given up by three guys that I don't think are going to make a huge impact on what your team does in the postseason this year. Agreed. First, uh, any last encompassing thoughts maybe before we jump into some hoops? I mean, obviously an incredible weekend for Ole Miss. And, you know, it's the I've always found that the first half of the SEC season and particularly the first couple of weeks interesting because if you play badly, there's always time to crawl out of the hole. But when you jump off, particularly if you're a good club and, like, you know, your start to leading a division or leading the West or whatever isn't fluky – Racking up these wins early in the year, I mean, like, it sounds dumb, but you got nine weekends left and you're 15 wins away from 18 wins. Like, getting off to a fast start is absolutely massive, particularly this West. Well, I mean, you think about it now. Um, you've got 27 games left and you got to go 15 and 12 to get a national seed. That's a whole lot easier than going 18 and 12. You know what I mean? Like, you have six series or, or excuse me, nine series left. You need to find a way to get 15 more wins uh, because you took care of the first weekend. Uh, look, with Ole Miss's schedule, when you play well, you need to win, and and they did. So you've got three. got to figure out a way to get 15 more, and, and you're going to give yourself every opportunity. Because, look, if this team wins 18 games, our national seed, there's no question in my mind, especially after the first weekend. Um, and, you know, that's the goal for this team, right? Like, you need to be a, a, a top five or six national seed, in my opinion, and then play a super regional in Oxford, and you hope the, that that goes your way. Um and this first weekend was a very big step in accomplishing that. Um, I, I do think, too, look, Auburn was not good uh, on the mound. They're, they were not. I think Auburn's offense probably deserves a little credit. Th those guys can play. I know Gunnar Hoagland shut them down on Friday night. I'm telling you, Auburn's offense is not bad. Um, so, we'll see what they do going forward. They have Kentucky next week. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I'm really encouraged by what Ole Miss's starting pitching was able to do this weekend because I'm telling you that Auburn offense can play. And the yeah, I agree. It's it's what all three starters did against them, and for the most part, I mean, I say the bullpen sends two guys that don't really have a role and two guys that struggled Saturday, but I mean, it's Broadway and Myers too. It's it's the it's the top half of the top half of your bullpen along with the starters really shut a pretty good offense down, which is a hell of a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you look. This this stretch where, you know, you talk about Alabama, you talk about Auburn, you said, hey, you can't be worse than four and two. Well, Ole Miss is not going to be worse than four and two. I don't think there's a world where they go to Alabama and get swept next weekend. If they do, then they're the most bipolar team in the country. Um, but in saying that, I mean, if, you, if you're able to get out of Tuscaloosa five and one man before you go to Florida and before Arkansas comes home, man, you're, you're, you're put yourself in really, really good shape if you're able to go win two in Tuscaloosa next week. Massive. And these home sweeps against teams that are average but not great are, are leaving you a little bit of a cushion down the road for a hiccup. Like if Ole Miss steals another sweep at home here in the next month or so, not that you would want to have a hiccup because you still have a long way from home, but it, it affords you the opportunity to have a bad weekend if it happens and still be sitting in, in, in pretty good position. Well, too, frankly, I mean, everybody always says you can't lose a home series. Well, 
Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are coming to Oxford this year. It's a real possibility Ole Miss doesn't win that series at home. So gives you a little, like you said, a little, you know, mulligan for that, if you will. Let's transition into some hoops. What a weekend for the tournament to be back. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Um, hey, my Syracuse Cinderella pick's looking good. That is. But, uh, uh, San Diego State was kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. And they beat West Virginia today, and Hugs did a terrible job. But anyways, um, it's almost like you should maybe, you know, run someone at Buddy Bayham. I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, tournament's been awesome. You know, you get Oregon State's up 14 right now as we record this. Uh, got a chance to go to the Sweet 16, be a 12 seed in the Sweet 16. Got a 15 seed already in the Sweet 16. Um, you know, I can't remember if we've got any other double-digit seeds. But, yeah, man, it's it's been awesome to watch, uh, especially, you know, when we get, you know, another round tomorrow of, of, of teams. So, yeah. Uh, been really high level stuff. North Texas is going to be easier. I think got beat by Villanova tonight, but they're able to pull off the upset against Purdue. Um, yeah, man, it, it's especially after last year. It's been extremely, extremely fun to watch. And I think the upset that everyone pretty much anticipated, if you want to call it that, happened in terms of Ohio going or not Ohio. Yeah, excuse me, Ohio getting past Virginia. Virginia, like, yeah, they didn't play well, but that's a really crappy deal with they but, had to deal yes. with with COVID. Yeah, and and you know. They gave themselves every opportunity. Um, you know, they were up, I think, with six minutes left. But, man, like, you can't practice. You leave on Friday. You get to practice, I think, Friday night. Um, you know, you don't play for a week. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a tough deal. Uh, I'll tell you who I'm extremely impressed with, and it's, you know, look, it's Winthrop and it's North Texas. I get it. You lose your best player and you're, you know, a really good role piece and, and you're able to go to the Sweet 16, and look, now Gonzaga is going to wreck them um, in the Sweet 16. But Villanova is extremely good, man. And, and Jay Wright, man, what a basketball coach. He's probably the best coach in the industry right now. Yeah. Yeah, unless few wins the title this year, then I, I can argue that. Fair enough. That's probably the two – it's probably a three-headed conversation, I would guess. And, you know, Winthrop, a lot of people, including uh, the Bracken Ray guest on this podcast, thought Winthrop had a second weekend run in him. And, and Villanova, like you mentioned, without their best gun was really good. Rutgers wins. Rutgers choked away a sweet 16 oh. today against Houston. Really just kind of pissed it away at the end. Um, Loyola, Chicago, man. Uh, you talk about – I know I was texting well, you earlier this week. Porter Moser, who's, who's their head coach now, has more Sweet 16 appearances than Chaka Smart. Uh, if you're Indiana, Marquette, or Minnesota, I don't really know what you're doing other than begging that guy to say no. Um, you know who got screwed today? Who? Just Illinois. There's no way that team's an 8 seed. That's horseshit. It is. Um, I, that, I heard that, the conversation on my way home from golf earlier today. Um, it was some blowhard on on Mad Dog Radio talking about the same thing. And, like, I agree, but I just think the committee has a harder time putting a team in – I think Loyola Chicago's in the Missouri Valley. You know, unless they go something-something in 0 or 1, any higher than the 7 line at best. Man, it just – well, all right, well, why can you – you put Gonzaga at the 6 line, you know. Uh, or not Gonzaga, excuse me, BYU at the 6 line. Um, can't put them there. I don't know, I just – that, that didn't feel right for Illinois, man, because I'm telling you, that, that Illinois team was really good. And they, they beat a lot of eight, eight or nine seats today, but they weren't beating that one. That, that team, they're kind of fun to watch. They And I don't know if this is fair. They kind of remind me in, a, in Virginia in a way. It's like they're going to guard you. They're going to run really good offense, and they're going to get good shots. And if it's good enough to beat you, it is. And if it's not, it's not. It just kind of feels like a little Virginia feel to me. 
agree. And like, they have a lot in this. I'm not meaning this because they had a bunch of white dudes on the court. They have a lot of smart, savvy players. They don't have to play fast. They have way more of an ability to go at tempo than Virginia does, obviously. But your comparison about the way they take care of the basketball and just run good offense and D the hell out of you, granted, very different philosophies, is uh, it's really awesome to watch. And I forget the kid's name, Crutzwig, whatever his name is. Um I like how, you know, he's a he's a guy that looks like he's like, I don't know, like the Uber driver from Xavier. They called him a mall cop. They, they, what? Mall they cop? called him a mall cop. And I was like, you know what? That's not awful. That's not the worst one I've heard. I'll give them that. Yeah. But it's kind of like he's like the funny guy that everyone gets attached to because no one watches little American basketball. But he was the conference player of the year. The guy's an absolute stud and was in the running three years earlier. Yeah. He's a hell of a basketball player. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he is. Um, Man, they they pulled an upset today, and you know, obviously, we get a day full of this tomorrow. Uh, yeah, but the, the tournament's been awesome. Tournament's always awesome. Um, and now, you know, you get to the Sweet Sixteen, and that's kind of when you know it gets. Look, Oral Roberts isn't winning again. I don't think there's much prayer. Look, if they beat Arkansas, and you can hold me to this, listeners, I will become an Oral Roberts donor. I will. Oh my God, if they beat Arkansas, I'll thoroughly enjoy that. I don't think there's a world where that happens, though. I didn't think they were winning tonight either. And for well, four minutes of that game, it was like, okay, they're not winning tonight. And then it just kind of shifted. Uh, Florida kind of peed down their leg. They did. That's a bad loss for Mike White. It's a bad loss. It's a tailor-made she- gift to the Sweet 16, baby. I mean, maybe, I should say. Oral Roberts been. is not Loyola Chicago. And I know that sounds dumb, but, like, that was that was hand-given hand to Florida. And they really just kind of squandered it. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if they did – Oral Roberts kind of does what they did to Ohio State where they're in the game and, you know, they, they kind of hold on at the end. Florida was up seven to nine points that entire game and just kind of pissed it away. Yeah, that one's going to be tough to sleep at night always for Mike White. Oral Roberts went 10 for 30 from three. It's not like they had some kid heat checking no. you out of the gym too because that happens some nights in March where you get some kid you haven't really ever heard of unless you're the team because obviously their scouting report and it's like, Oh, he had 35. Like, this is how this kind of happened. That wasn't the case either. Have you seen, like, the Texas from last night? It's like, how did Abilene win that game? They shot under 30% and shot, like, 12% from three and somehow won the game. It makes no sense. You've had a lot of uh, David knocking down Goliath in state. Loyola Chicago beats Illinois. Abilene Christian beats Texas. It's been a lot of – a lot of little brother getting to big brother, which that isn't even a fair comparison because I, I don't think – you think everyone on Texas's roster knew who Abilene Christian was? Do you think they knew that was a school? No. But, uh, can you imagine uh, Rebel Grove or the Spirit if Millsaps goes D1 and beats Ole Miss in the NCAA tournament? Because that's essentially what happened. <laughs> this gets worked by Valley. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine the message boards? That would, uh, that would not – not be great. Let's uh before we wrap this up, NCAA tournament's been great. We'll have plenty more time to talk about that as we get into the second weekend here. Um, wrapping it up, I did go to Ole Miss's NIT game on Friday, which um luckily was able to catch most of Gunner's performance, whether it be in the car or watching it before we headed out towards the game. But I would say Friday was the most kind of like I guess multitasking I was all weekend, where I was mostly kind of locked into baseball the rest of the weekend. But what a weird venue that was. So they were playing in the Stars practice facility, the Dallas Stars, the NHL hockey team here. But it was like a dueling – it was a facility with two rinks. So you had this actual rink where apparently their uh, 
AHL affiliate plays, and also the G League team, the Mavs G League team, plays out there as well. So you walk in, and it almost looks like a ballroom or something that they put bleachers next to. There's no one in there except for, I would venture to say, like 1,500 to 2,000 very overzealous tech fans who are very much into that game, and then like us and a few others. But, boy, the NIT was quite something. We had – people were having a good time in that place. So I would say the beer was flowing. There was a guy next to us. I think I put a video up of it on Twitter. was uh, doing his most to get Louisiana Tech to miss free throws. Uh, ripped his shirt off at one point, showed the nips, his other buddy. Um, they had the kids with him too, was uh, shaking the butt. It was uh, it was like it reminded me of like the scene in uh the what is it semi pro the Flint Tropics. It was a very Flint Tropicy basketball game for anyone that's seen that movie and gets this reference. It was something. I had a great time though. You know who did not have a great time? Uh, probably Ole Miss and Kermit. Ole Miss. Day. They did not have a great time at the NIT. Um, good for them. Their stay's not going to be real long. So uh, that was that was pretty pathetic. The the way that that second half ended, but. Look, that, that that team, I don't know. That, that team just kind of felt weird, weird all year. So, um, you're missing KJ, you're missing Shooter. Yeah. Like I thought, I thought signs Jarkel, Jarkel early in the game was heat checking folks. Like he made a couple of shots where it was like whoa, but it was just kind of like I mean, they, it's almost like they lost their top guard and they couldn't sustain offense for a team that was already offensively challenged. Yeah, it was. Um, then they weren't going to go far without Shooter, not to kid ourselves or anything, but. I don't know that this whole basketball season just felt weird. Uh, I don't know, and it and it sucks too because like you, you look back at this year and it's like, oh, you have the bad January, and yeah, you went on this really big run and you got really close to the NCAA tournament, and it's not like the losses or, or it's not like you didn't beat teams that could have got you into the NCAA tournament. When you look back, it's like we really lost to Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, and that's what cost us the tournament. And then you, you you go out and don't really play well against Louisiana Tech and the and the and the NIT and it's just man this, this season I don't know what it was it just I don't know if it's COVID or whatever it just kind of felt off track for the entire year. Yeah, it really did, and it was a team, and it was a team that was it was a weird season, and it was a team that was kind of hard to watch. I mean, we've talked yeah. about it a bunch before, but it was their it was their struggles to be it was their struggles to be consistent offensively which caused a lot of these erratic results right when you have a team that's so offensively challenged it's a hell of a lot easier to lose to a Vanderbilt or lose to a Mississippi State team that was in that spot currently and then you take out two of their top contributors i mean whatever you think of KJ Buffett he started 21 of 26 games this year sure. and had moments where he was really good you take that away from him and you know they're just kind of hapless but i'll tell you what man Ramella White had absolutely nothing to play for in that game and no reason to play it. And he showed up involved like the 64 game. That guy just kind of shows up to the gym and hoops, and he's a really likable player. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, absolutely. He was a really good player for Miss this year. Without him, I don't know how they win games. So, uh, good for him. I'm glad he had a good, good performance to end this Ole Miss career. Um, that team's got to look, and I don't know how much you want to get in this team, into this. That, that team's got a lot of retooling to do. Um, otherwise, they're going to be a mess next year because, you know, if if that night or if Friday night was what they're going to look like without Shuler, it's a tough watch offensively. So they better get better a hell of a lot. I think you saw signs of it too through even through the loss. I mean, Jarkel ends up with 22 on 7 to 17 shooting. It was really good for a lot of that game. Matthew Morrell showed some flashes. You know, I don't really know what Luis Rodriguez's ceiling is or even really what he is offensively. But they definitely need to retool in the front court, and they need either Morrell or this roughing kid to go 
um, alongside Joyner in the backcourt. I've seen enough from Joyner in the second half of this season, and I, I, I'm not just – I don't feel like I'm going off recency bias and it just being the last two games. I'm buying Jarrett Curl Joyner's stock. I think he's kind of figured it out. If you look at what he's done – Sands the first 15 games of the season. I mean, I, that was a dumb way to put it. Sands, if you look at the last 10 games of this regular season, I think he's kind of found it and put it together. So I'm buying stock there. They just need another guard and they need to kind of retool the front court. Yeah. Um, my thing with retooling the front court, right, is that's a lot easier said than done. Um, you've got Sammy Hunter and Robert Allen now, and, and you've got to add, what, two guys in the front court that can go play? Um, and I don't – like. Yeah, it's if they can do that, they'll be fine. I just don't like instant impact transfers. Don't just grow on trees for Ole Miss either, though. Nope, but there's some breakfield rumblings. There are there are some breakfield rumors. Um, so they get him. It's a different ball game. Yep. So I didn't make too much of that. I thought the NIT was hilarious. I don't know why. I just thought that whole setup with the arena and no one in there. Uh, there was an older gentleman that was rooting for La Tech behind us that was just very pissed off at our existence. The people I was with could not have given less of a shit about this game. Like, could not have <laughs> cared at all. We were just there to have a good time, live sporting event, whatever. And, like, that guy was just really upset that we were existing. He was really into the game. It was uh, it was kind of funny just kind of being sarcastic and even more sarcastic because the uh, every trip to the concession stand, whatever you want to read into that. Um but there were some La Tech fans that loved them, some NIT, man. They had beef with some of the Ole Miss students around us. It was it was interesting. I found that very uh, – and I wasn't even wearing Ole Miss stuff. Hell, I don't even own Ole Miss stuff really anymore. Um, but they, they were just not happy. There, there's, there's La Tech schools. The directional schools in Louisiana have a feisty chip on their shoulder. I know my old former colleague Brian Haydad can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, I feel like the NIT, like, Schools like that care a lot more because, like, Ole Miss is just pissed off they're not in it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I can see that totally. I think that'll just about do it for us today. I'll remind you one more time, we've got LB specials coming up this week. Uh, I got to get on the phone with LB's Greg to see what he wants to do at the beginning of the week, but be sure to check that out. This week will be coming in the newsletter. Be sure to look for your subscriber promo code. Remind you one more time to go check out Skybox Sports Picks. You got another day of the round of 32. You've got the Sweet 16 coming up. No better time to try out their March Madness package. They've got season packages, daily packages. If you want to get into handicapping NASCAR, they are the place to do it as well. Their NASCAR algorithm is, is quite insane and in the rate that they've been hitting at. Go check those dudes out. I wouldn't steer you wrong. Um, Colin and I will be back at it for the Mailbag Friday podcast. Dude, I appreciate it as always. This was fun. Sounds good, man. Everybody have a safe and happy Monday. I'll be back at it on Wednesday with something. Colin back on Friday, so stay on the lookout. Everybody be safe and have a wonderful week.